Well, turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Julie and I chose this as our life psalm uh, 30-some years ago, back when I was in seminary. We had got, just gone through some losses, some real challenges, and God ministered to us through it. And we have found in the 30 or 40 years since that life, of course, is full of losses where the whole world ends up feeling empty. It happens again and again all through life. And we found again and again as we retreat to this psalm that he can fill us whatever our loss. Psalm 103, and we'll focus today on the last half of verse 4. He can fill us whatever our loss. As we bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, that's a filling. Bless his holy name. For one thing after another, the truths of who he is. We'll focus today on the last half of verse 4, on a truth that speaks really to the needy child that's in us all, and that is that he crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. It starts in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. We move today to yet another way that the Father in heaven meets our deepest need, as Martin Luther said, and that is just to find a gracious God which is the main passion of this psalm. We've been looking at just such a gracious God, one who pardons all your sins, who heals then after that all the diseases that come on the heels of your sins, who redeems your life from the pits of a sinful creation where that's full of everything from misfortunes to personal cataclysms, and now who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. He consummates, you might say, all this undeserved love that we've been seeing by crowning us with the loving kindness and compassion that's been driving all this grace in the first place. And what difference can it make that he crowns us in this way? Well, it's in a Father's Day card. A little eight-year-old boy in one of my former congregations wrote, to his father years ago. He said, Dear Dad, you don't know how much you mean to me. Like when you come into the house and the warmth and the kindness that flows around you that I can see even sense even before you come into the door. You're like a house that I come to for protection. And then he concludes, A loving father is all I could ask for. Which is true for us too. Actually, he concludes by saying, I have so much more to tell you, but I'll have to tell you next year. I've got places to go, things to do. <laughs> I love that boy. What difference does it make that he crowns us with loving kindness and compassion? I'm telling you, there was just something about that boy. He, he kept his chin up, and he held his head high. He looked you straight in the eye with an innocent pride. He had a joyful countenance, and like this impregnable confidence of a son who'd been crowned with loving kindness and compassion. And you can be that way too. For that to happen, you need first to, Roman numeral one in your notes, appreciate the crown. And we'll fill in the blanks in just a bit. 
And appreciating the crown begins with uh, knowing what it means, obviously, that he crowns us. And that begins with knowing who's doing the crowning, which is at the heart of what's going on here. David tells us who's doing it just nine verses later in Psalm 103, 13, where he says, just as a father has compassion, that's the same word, compassion, that he used four verses earlier, he crowns us with loving kindness and compassion, and now we see it's the father's compassion. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And then he goes on in verse 17 to talk about this same father's loving kindness when he says, just like you see in the picture on the screens, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love that shines through it all toward those who fear him. So he's saying that he's talking about the fatherly love of God, both here and back in verse 4 when he says that he crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. He's saying that the love of God the Father can be like a crown on the needy child in us all. And just what does the Father's crown do for us? Well, in Proverbs 17, Solomon uh, uh, says much the same that, uh, that his son David does in Psalm 103, but in a way that helps us understand it. In Proverbs 17, 6, Solomon says, Grandchildren are the crown of old men, and the glory of sons is their fathers. He's saying a crown is like glory. Grandchildren are the crown of old men, and the glory of sons is their fathers. This is Hebrew parallelism, where the first line explains the second. And what that means is this. When things are good between a father and a son, the son will, be, will wear it like a crown. He'll glow with a kind of glory. That is, when a father's love is magnified toward a son, a son will feel glorified, and it will keep his chin up, and he'll hold his head high. Grandchildren are the crown of old men and the glory of sons. Their crown of glory is their father's love. A paraphrase of the verse might read like this. Grandchildren make grandparents feel crowned like kings and queens. Isn't that the case? Grandchildren make grandparents feel crowned like kings, and fathers can do the same for their sons. So letting the scripture interpret itself, combining these verses in Proverbs with our verse in Psalms, to be crowned with loving kindness and compassion means very simply that the Father, the heavenly Father's love can make you feel crowned like a king or a queen, like the little boy who... Uh, who I knew so well. Thanks to the Heavenly Father, it can be just like we sing for us children all through life. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. So to appreciate it, you need to know what it means. But to really appreciate it, on the foundation of knowing what it means, you need to, and here you can fill in the blanks. That was kind of an introduction. Uh, by Roman numeral one in your notes, you need to, based on knowing what it means, you need to know your need. To know your need. We all need to know how we all need this so desperately. Or we won't give it the time of day. Today we're going to see that the same can be true for each of us as was true for that little boy. Even if you didn't have a dad like his in your life, if you know your need. 
Or maybe you did have such a dad, but you no longer do because he's old now and you're caring for him and it's the, revert, the roles are being reversed and you feel orphaned. Or maybe he's long gone now, which will, of course, happen to all our parents. Like it was with my mom, you, uh, through, with Parkinson's and dementia, and it was a long decline, which is so hard. Uh, or, with, or because of cancer, like it was for my, first my two fathers, or just normal aging and dying, or an abnormal upbringing wh uh, where you didn't have a healthy father to begin with. For one reason or another, all of us will feel empty. We'll end up feeling like David, who said, My father and mother have forsaken me, Psalm 27.10. And I'm thinking, I thought Jesse was a good father. Well, he was. But what he's most likely talking about here is that they've died. And so even as a king, he felt forsaken, like we all do when our parents die, however old you may be. Even the elderly in nursing homes still call out sometimes for their mother or father. But the point here is that we need to call on him. As we grow older. That's David's point. And so he said, My father and mother have forsaken me, Psalm 27:10, but the Lord will lift me up. He's my glory now, not my father. He's the lifter of my head. As I keep my chin up and hold my head high. And so putting these two psalms together, he's saying, He crowned me when I felt orphaned. And it happened because he was humble enough to admit how he felt. It to, and to do it in public, as a king, my father and mother have forsaken me. He knew his need. And if you're anything like me, deep down, you do too. I have a book on my shelves. It's a classic called uh, For Women Only, What Men Need to Know About the Inner Life, what, what Women Need to Know About the Inner Lives of Their Men. <laughs> Christian author Shanti Feltham, a researcher, did uh, rigorous research on thousands of men. Uh, chapter 3 is called the performance, uh, the performance of a Lifetime, subtitled, Why Your Mr. Smooth Feels Like an Imposter. In all my surveys, no matter how I asked the question, no matter how successful a man was, and no matter how secure they looked on the outside, around three-fourths admitted to this insecurity about whether they could hack it or what others think of them. Whether it was about being a good husband, father, mechanic, businessman, or student, they deeply wanted to do well and tried to look confident but felt insecure. Frank McGuire helped start Federal Express and earlier held an inside position in the Kennedy White House. His book, You're the Greatest, takes us inside the unique torture of a man's workplace. McGuire wrote, and he w as he summed it up, I've been around many powerful leaders. On the surface, they look totally secure. You would never guess that there was even one ounce of fear. But my experience has also convinced me that no matter what your title or position in life is, we all, no exceptions, carry our treasures in, tra in fragile containers. And then she concludes with this. One of the most revealing interviews I conducted was with Ken Rutgers, former all-pro offensive tackle with the Super Bowl champion Green Bay Packers. He now helps retiring athletes. When I told him the subject of this chapter, he jumped on it. He jumped on it. I have never seen, he said, so many insecurities as in the pro locker room. Surprised, I asked him why. Here's his explanation. Because the guys are naked on the field. 
They have two or three hours to prove themselves, and there's no fooling the camera. Once you look through the mask, you've got the most insecure guys ever. They try to put up a great front, but once they know each other really well, they'll ask, how'd I do on that play? They're just looking for affirmation. And it's not just the camera. It's the knowledge that some guys are going to get cut. Another pro football player put it this way, we're all on the replacement list. You just want to stay off the top of it. <laughs> you know, sports is like corporate America, Ken Rutgers said. There's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately attitude in management. It's incredibly draining, and so there is a huge unspoken fear of failure. That's you. You're in good company. <laughs> Solomon himself, when he became king, said as much about what he felt, and he knew his need publicly, and he declared it in a prayer. He said, I am but a little child, and I do not know how to go in or come out. That's Solomon in his heart of hearts. So give me, he turned to the Father, give me an understanding heart so that I may judge these people. Robert Lewis wrote about this in a book about fathers and sons called, called Raising a Modern Knight. Maybe some of you can relate to this. He quotes from a letter from a man who uh, lost his father. Dear Robert, my father was killed in World War II when I was three years old. I knew in my heart that he loved me. My mother told me that he loved me, but I always longed to hear it myself from him. This man is almost a senior adult, and he's still looking back to that. When my mother and stepfather retired and left Alaska, I came over one day to help them pack. Mom took an old army photograph of my father in his army uniform uh, off of her dresser and gave it to me. She said, here, this is for you. I know your father would have wanted you to have it. It was the same photograph I had seen for years. As I took the precious picture from her, I dropped it. The cheap metal frame hit the floor and broke, shattering the glass. Sick at heart, I reached down to salvage what was left of this family treasure. Behind the photograph, I found a letter placed there 37 years before and long since forgotten. It was a letter from my father to his three-year-old son. The last letter he had written before he died. In it, he said that he loved me and that he longed to come home to be with me. And he closes, I had heard the words I needed to hear from a father who was long since dead. Maybe some of you have been waiting to hear that all your life. Well, you're hearing it today. Lewis said, when a dad is absent, physically or emotionally, boys begin to sink into themselves. They begin to drift. And he talks about the drifting of men and boys. Alone in an empty universe. They're haunted by a great absence. I know I was. Maybe your dad was absent, or maybe he was just distant, or passive, or uh, abusive, or a workaholic, or just sick, or for whatever reason, he's gone now. Maybe you've been haunted by a great absence all your life that's as unnoticed and yet like as all-encompassing as the sky. Maybe underneath the facade of being grown up, truth be told, the child in you has been drifting for a long, long time. And on top of all that, look what you're going through, and there's no end in sight. Maybe you've lost all hope. 
You feel forsaken. And there's a father hunger in you that's too great for anyone to satisfy. Well, I'm here to tell you today that there is someone out there who is big enough. Who can halt the drift of any son at any time under any circumstances. Because just like he says here in Psalm 103, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on them who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. And so no matter what has happened or is happening to you, no matter what's going on around you, 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 you can keep your chin up. And you can hold your head high. And you can look people straight in the eye with an innocent pride, with the joyful countenance, and with, 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 with the impregnable confidence that comes when you know you're crowned. And I'll show you how to make this happen. But it's not just for sons. It's for daughters, too. The glory of daughters is their father's. Because you see, a father's love can end up adorning a daughter with like this strength and this dignity that's invulnerable. It gives her a crown of confidence that keeps her head up and her chin high. A feminine, healthy glow that's like this shield around her. But without it, the shield goes down. Without it, a daughter too will uh, begin to drift. In an empty world, some will drift up and down the streets and knocking at all the wrong doors. Some will live for the affirmation of any uh, father figure that moves. Some will put up a wall of anger at any male that moves because they were so hurt by their fathers. Some will shield themselves with, with makeup or clothes or, or competence or niceness or with outright rebelliousness that only hides a broken spirit. A wounded heart, a, a, an empty cup. She, she will often do anything to protect herself from being hurt ever again. She will do anything to fill her hungry heart. Maybe that's you to some degree, or your daughter, or your granddaughter. Maybe you've been haunted by a, a great emptiness all your life that's all-encompassing as the sky. Maybe it's, it's like this ravenous emptiness as it can be for women, and you've been trying to fill it for so long with food or with friends or with fun or with surrogate fathers or with boyfriends or with romantic fantasies or with a, a, a believer, beleaguered husband who can't possibly meet all your needs. And on top of all that, look what you're going through right now. And there's a father hunger in you that's all embracing as the sky. Well, I'm here to tell you today that there is a man out there who is faithful and true. A real man who knows how, how to nourish and how to cherish the little girl in you and help her flourish who can fill you up from the inside out. There's a father out there who is more than big enough whose love is great unto the heavens and great above the heavens, as David says elsewhere. Not just a father figure, but the father himself, who's the source of what's good in every father and in whom there is nothing that's bad in any father. 
who can halt the drift of any daughter at any time under any circumstances. Because just as the Lord has compassion on his children, so the Lord does as a father who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Scripture calls him the father of lights, James 1, in whom, unlike any other father or father figure, he says, there is no variation or shifting shadow or shadow of turning away from you. There will not be that ever. And so no matter what has happened or is happening to you, no matter what's going on around you, you you, you can keep your chin up and you can hold your head high and you you can look people straight in the eye with an innocent pride, with, with a joyful countenance and the impregnable confidence that comes when you're crowned as a woman with loving kindness and compassion. Now, None of this will come unless we know our need. So we really appreciate the crown, which is why I've spent so long there. So we'll really appreciate the crown enough to give it the time of day that we know our need, whether through the failure of a father or the loss of a pastor. All that and more makes this possible. But there are two things we can do in addition to appreciating the crown that will help us appropriate the crown. Two brief uh, points of application, and that is very simply to, uh, this is Roman numeral two and three, to cultivate it in you and then to activate it through you. (laughs) First, Roman numeral two, and you can fill in the blank. You can generate or cultivate it, that's a better word to use, cultivate it in you by Going home, fill in the blank, regularly. Not just wandering in the world aimlessly, helplessly. Going home regularly. Where we'll experience with our Father in heaven what that little boy did with his father, the warmth and kindness that flows around him like a house you come to for protection. And how do you get there? Well, the, the most direct way is to pray. It's called finding your refuge in him like a house you go to for protection. Among many other places, David summed this up in Psalm 18 where he said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. He's talking to God. And out of that experience, he immediately goes to talk to us. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. And how do you take refuge in him? Well, it began with a prayer. I love you, O Lord, my strength. And look at what this does to me and for me. Another psalmist summed it up in Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, in whom I trust. Prayer again. How did God become his shelter? Through prayer. That's what's going on here. He goes instinctively 
from the priority of dwelling in the shelter of the Most High to what gets him there, and that is the priority of prayer. And so he says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty, and to that end I find my refuge in him. I pray, I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And then he goes on to say that if you do this, you will too. You'll find that too. You will make the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. It's all over the place in Scripture. It's how the Father in heaven becomes a home for protection. As you call on the name of the Lord, you'll find your refuge in him. It's so clear in Scripture. For what great nation, Deuteronomy 4, 7, is there that, a, that has a God so near to it? How does he become near like a house for refuge? So near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call on him. Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him. It's like George MacDonald wrote, the great 19th century author. He began with a question that someone fired at him about prayer, one that many people ask. The question was this, if God is so good as you present him, why, and if he knows all that we need, and better far than we do ourselves, why should it be necessary that we ask him for anything? I answer, what if he knows prayer is the need we is the thing we need first and foremost. What if the main object of God's idea of prayer be the supplying of our great, our endless need, the need of himself? Hunger may drive a runaway child home, and he may or may not be fed at once, but he needs his father more than his dinner. So we ask for our daily bread. But in asking, we get what we need far more, and that is our Father, as we ask. He concludes, it, concludes, communion with God is the one need of the soul beyond all other needs. Prayer is that communion, and some need is the motive of that prayer. And so when I go out and pray and do prayer walks, just like many of you, I lift up so many requests, pray through cards, pray through the directory and all that. Uh, those are the presenting needs, but the deeper thing is that it fulfills my need of him. I wouldn't survive without that. So how do you cultivate the crown? Well, underneath it all, knowing your need, you turn to him in your need. <laughs> you turn your heart toward home, and when you do that, you find a home for protection. So you cultivate the crown by going home regularly through prayer, of course, on the foundation of Scripture as we do in our devotions and in our study of God's Word, a foundation I've been building on through this sermon. Cultivate the crown in this way, and you'll have the basis to activate it by putting it on. Cultivate your knowledge of his compassion in this way. And you'll have the basis to activate his compassion by putting it on. It should go without saying, but it doesn't. It's a crown, and so you've got to put it on. Right? It's Roman numeral three in your notes. We activate the crown as we fill in the blank. Wear it proudly. 
which we've come back to again and again today because that's the bottom line application. Prayer puts you in a posture to be crowned, not with arrogant pride, but with an innocent kind of pride that is the overflow of the one who's the filler of your cup uh, and the lifter of your head as you hold your chin up and keep your head high. The more you wear it proudly, the more you act on the knowledge of God's love in this way, in the very physical and, in, and intentional way that includes your chin and your head, the more you act by faith on the knowledge of his love that you have uh, cultivated regularly, the more real it will become for you personally and the more it will impact you uh, uh, emotionally. Faith is ultimately action. Just do it. Remember the Nike commercial? Just do it, and in time you will feel it. If you don't already, you'll feel crowned with loving kindness and compassion. It happens as, as by faith we just do it in the face of our feelings. As uh, by our way with men, we salute our Father in heaven. As we keep our chin up and hold our head high and look them straight in the eye with an innocent pride, with the joyful countenance and impregnable confidence that comes from knowing a father who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who, and, and who consummates all this undeserved grace as he crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. And so we have really the summary of it all at the end of your notes, and you can fill in the blanks there. Keep your chin up and hold your head high. Look people straight in the eye with an innocent pride, with a joyful countenance and impregnable confidence of children who find their home in him. You can do that if you know your need. And if out of that need, you go home regularly. If you hurry home every day to cultivate and then leave home to activate the truth of his crowning love. Love. 